Oh hey, didn't see you there. Welcome to Secondary Fermentation, episode number 62. I'm back this week. This is Joe, and of course I'm joined by... Nick. And... Elsie. Elsie's back. Back, back again. again. Elsie's back. <laughs> I brought a friend. <laughs> Mr. Owen mm-hmm. is joining us tonight as well. <laughs> wow, like I committed to singing all of that. Yeah. Yeah, you currently have a baby. Attached to you right now. I do. <laughs> We're multitasking. So she she here. always has a baby, but he's not always attached. We're not the only ones drinking tonight. Woo! He's <laughs> a fan of milk stats. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to get milk wasted. So if you hear intermittent baby noises in the Some background, cooing. you'll know why. <laughs> or if you sound so like someone's like hogging down, you know, that's that's the other not, noise that you hear. It could be one of us, too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it could be one of us. Sucking down on a bottle. Yeah. So we're back. Elsie's back from maternity leave. The gang's back together. We're all here. Gang's all here. We've made it back. Uh, episode number 62. You know, I feel like we're, we're out here pretty good. We had a pretty good run last week of listens. Thank oh, you yeah. all for supporting. Uh, Big run. Really uh, appreciate that. It's always nice to see those high numbers come flowing through on the daily listens. Pretty cool stuff. And some new locations popping up too. So always pretty crazy. <laughs> <laughs> wow, we got a baby angry. <laughs> Losing it. But yeah, so we're back, episode number 62. And, you know, I feel like we've been talking a lot about acquisitions, mergers, closures of breweries lately. Uh, and we've got some even more news. You know, I saw an article the other day about 10 Barrel being sold again. Uh, which was kind of crazy, uh, but that comes in a string of sales from the AB InBev portfolio. How many did they send, sell? Ten or eight? Eight total. Eight, eight total brands from their craft portfolio. I said ten stuck in my mind from Ten Barrel. Ten bar- yeah, <laughs> yeah eight, eight eight craft brands from their portfolio. One of those, uh, including Shock Top, which I was a little surprised about because I feel like Shock Top's been in their lineup mm-hmm. for a long time now. And it was kind of like their initial answer to craft beer. Yeah. But surprised they kind of rescinded that one to their partner, which we haven't mentioned yet. But uh, it's actually is a brand from Canada. They're a cannabis company. Yay. Uh, uh, called Tilray. So one thing I didn't know is that they actually were early partners with AB InBev for some THC and CBD infused drinks back in the day. This is getting back to about 2018, 2019. Mm-hmm. So... ABM has been involved in that kind of preliminary market of getting some, you know, cannabis beverages out in the market. And so Tilray was a partner at that time with them since they have uh, that part of their manufacturing portfolio. So now they're kind of offering them a deal. It was worth $85 million to acquire eight different brands, including, like we said, Shock Top, Ten Barrel, Breckenridge Brewing Company is another big one that I was kind of shocked about. But uh, they'll still retain 12 different craft, quote-unquote, craft brands in the portfolio of AB InBev. So. Yeah, it's uh, a lot of big names, you know, in, in kind of craft beer that have been sold here. Lauren, do you have the, the full list? Um, Shock Top, Breckenridge Brewing, Blue Point Brewing Co., Ten Barrel Brewing, which you had mentioned, Red Hook, Widmer Brothers Widmer Brewing. Brothers. Highball and Square Mile Cider. So kind of an interesting thing, you know, a cannabis company buying these breweries or 
brands, I guess it's not breweries really anymore, but the brands, I'm curious what they're going to do with them. Are they going to just kind of, uh, enrich their portfolio with beer or are they going to do something else with them and kind of rebrand them? Cause I don't know why you'd buy the brands if you weren't going to keep the names, you know, but yeah. And so Tilray, they merged with a competitor back in 2020. And so I think during that process, that's where they first acquired some other craft brewing brands, such as like Sweetwater Brewing Company based out of Georgia. So not a stranger necessarily to having craft beer brands in their portfolio, but this definitely extends that quite a bit with some really notable brands that are, you know, like Breckenridge, you find that stuff in gas stations out here even. I mean, it's not Mm -hmm. a... Uh, necessarily unknown name it's a quite a large name in craft beer so no, red hook too i mean red hook my, yeah my, one of my friends in college like loved red red hook what is that long hammer ipa or something mm-hmm. like that uh widmer brothers you know one of the big names in craft beer for the original you know movement but obviously sold previously uh Heimball i've not really heard of nor have i heard of square mile cider yeah the one interesting thing is i think with this acquisition or this deal between ABM Bev and Tilray, it actually gives Tilray more of a widespread U.S. market. You know, they've already got some East Coast and kind of Eastern-based companies under their umbrella. Now they've got some out West, too, mm-hmm. with things like uh, Ten Barrel and Breckenridge being further West. So that kind of probably helps them bridge the gap between the East and West Coast, expand to some other markets by having companies that are based heavily in all different regions. Oh, yeah, for so, sure. Definitely yeah. a big move, though. It's not a a, a light, lightly taken move by Anheuser-Busch, though. I mean, they're Mm-mm. seemingly in some trouble financially. Yeah, and that's sort of combat wonder if things. it stems from, uh, you know, some of these decreased sales. We've seen a lot of articles popping up in my feeds lately about uh, loss of sales for Bud Light as backlash with the uh, Dylan Mulvaney ad campaign they had there for a yeah. while. And I'm sure, you know, if you anything in beer, you've seen, I mean, even outside of beer, you've seen all the retaliation and stuff associated with it. Um, I've seen numbers as high as like 40, 30 to 40% of sales decline in the, in the Bud yeah. Light brand itself uh, from the ensuing boycott after that. Uh, crazy stuff. You know, I, it was, at first it was kind of like a joke, like uh, all these people like throwing yeah. this beer away. Oh, they had to buy this case of beer to throw it away or whatever, but I guess they're sticking to not buying it. Uh, the whole thing is just a little crazy, oh though. <laughs> huge reaction. Um, you know, this funny is not funny. Sorry, I used the, <laughs> the wrong word there. It's not funny, but mm-hmm. the uh, news here with this selling of eight brands to one of their business partners comes kind of on the coattails of a big move they made in July where they were laying off a small percentage of employees across um, Anheuser-Busch's entire company. They said it was about 350 to 400 people, I think, that were affected. But they all got severance packages. It just it was part of an initiative for them to start to cut some, mm-hmm. uh, not cut corners, but trim some of the costs associated with overhead of employees and then say trim the fat (laughs) well no no i can't get it's corporate fat cats trimming the fat of the employee trim the fat and then start at the top start at the top but uh yeah so they're you know downsizing and employees they're you know selling off some brands to kind of recoup some of those loss of funds and it seems like it was a bigger hit than they anticipated but 
you know, if they if they get through this and ride through the storm, kudos to them for, you know, not giving in to, like, the public pressure to, you know, end a campaign that maybe... Well, not, I don't know, because yeah. I feel like they've 180 also with, like, the number of, like, patriotic ads and stuff, too. Like, doubling know. down on yeah, that? Yeah, I don't oh, know okay. what... I, uh, maybe I don't really, else. you know, we don't have like cable TV, so I don't see like commercials for Bud Light anymore. But yeah, I've I mean, seen some <laughs> things with those. Like, <laughs> yeah, it remains to be seen. I think, yeah, if they uh, kind of ditch the campaign with Dylan Mulvaney or not. Um, I mean, there is so much pressure from society and especially from certain louder demographics, <laughs> uh, I'll say, but. Uh, you know, as a business, they have every right to make decisions. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, they are a business and they have to support people. And I, I think the move to, you know, reduce their employees by a, a small margin was probably not taken lightly. But if they're able to do that to kind of bridge the gap between the loss of revenue yeah. and, and maintain their their projection going forward, then, you know, it might work out. But I could also see, them, like you said, pivot if things go really south. And they're, uh, you know, not, you know, if they're, if they're not able to sustain their kind of current trajectory. But yeah, it's, it's pretty wild. I mean, uh, thinking about like that ad campaign and stuff, like, was it, I try, I try to think of it from both ways. I'm like, was it trying to be more supportive of alternative communities for Bud Light versus the traditional demographic, uh, or, you know, was it just, let's try to get new customers and let's, you know, pander to the new right. times or something like that. So it's tough to tell. But thinking about the move, like, you know, majority of Bud Light drinkers probably aren't going to support a campaign like that, you know, just thinking about it. It was a risky move on their part, yeah. for sure. It's a bold move, Cotton. We'll see if it pays off. It seems to have done some damage to them, but, I mean, either way, it's fine. You don't want to do stuff just because it'll hurt your customers. I guess a business like them would probably <laughs> do that just so they don't hurt, hurt their customers' feelings, but I yeah. guess they really underestimated how uh, upset they can get over something. Well, yeah, the reaction was pretty knee-jerk. I mean, it's just the, nothing has changed from a product perspective. No. It's simply branding and maybe the appearance of the cans, but it's literally, yeah. Still water in a blue can. I mean, it's not like still water. <laughs> it's not like Bushlight putting out their cans of like the limited edition cans with fishing on them. Yeah. You know, the you know, PETA's not like, we need to boycott Bushlight. Maybe they are, they're yeah. really quiet about it, but <laughs> I mean it's it's just it's all well, branding. And, it's funny though, because if PETA were to do that, like you know that all the people that are on the other side would be like, Oh, they're so they're such babies, they yeah. can't handle a fish on a can. <laughs> you know, it's just so the hypocrisy. The irony uh, is so ridiculous. But anyway, not not to get too political here. Uh but speaking of people getting sour. <laughs> bingo <laughs> we've got uh, actually a sour beer here from a uh you want to which one do you want to break do you want to break the one that no longer exists i'm pretty sure that's from the brewery that is gone sadly Ooh, yes talking about acquisitions and closures at the beginning um a closure <laughs> all these segues dear to our heart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so if you remember a while back actually quite a while because i think it was at the end of 2022 if i remember uh, Barrel Culture, which was a beloved brewery in the Raleigh-Durham area. They had two locations. They decided to close their doors, but uh, they were known for having a lot of 
I would say eclectic beer, some mm-hmm. some wild wild ales, some spontaneous fermented ales, and uh, just some limited release bottles that oh yeah, you know, always fun. You never never know what you're gonna get, but they were all having one thing in common, and that was being of a sour ale variety, whether mm-hmm. that was a wild ale or you know some other kind of uh, European sour and ale. But did we ever find out the story behind them closing? Because they seem to be like one of the more successful breweries that were out there. And, uh, yeah, I was I was really surprised because it it seems that the Raleigh Durham area has not really had a lot of struggle with breweries closing. In fact, a lot of breweries have been opening. moving there yeah. and, and opening second or third locations there. Uh, I mean, notably Salty Turtle, which is a brewery based on the the coast of oh, yeah. South Carolina. They've opened a, a tap room. Burial has a tap room there now too. Ooh, listen to that bottle. Purge releasing. <laughs> um, who else? Is, who else has moved in there? Highwire, or is that? Do they have a Raleigh Durham? They do have one Durham. In Durham yeah. Okay. And then, uh, I mean, all, multiple breweries. Altered State opened mm-hmm. up. Um, Maker was another new one. Too, yeah. Like edit. Oh yeah, Edit is, a, is one of the newer ones on the block too. I mean, mm-hmm. the other ones have been around a couple of years, but still, I mean, it's a good beer scene you got fun guys out there you've got raleigh brewing you've got all these ancillary fermentation oh yeah ancillary fermentation is is pretty new too Mm -hmm. so there's no shortage of breweries there and especially one that seemed to be so successful and and kind of one of the hype breweries oh yeah Uh, i'm just i never really looked into it after we couldn't fairly find much but uh pick this bottle up from actually from their durham location i believe lauren and i went out there for a little i don't know why we were out there but we stopped by Got a few bottles to go. This one is the, what, cherry plum? Yeah, part of the erosion theories. Yeah, and we actually theory, so. aged this one probably almost a year now. Yeah, it was before I was pregnant because I was able to drink. Yeah, and uh, so it's got to be a chilling in the fridge for almost a year, <laughs> which I can't tell if it was, I don't remember if it was aged at that point or not. I can't remember because I think we originally bought it for a bottle share. Um, yeah, and then we never ended up. But I have another barrel culture too sitting in the fridge oh, waiting. So this is one of a, a couple two. Yeah. you stashed. Ooh, also we stopped by Old Duck Rabbit the other day. Did you picked up a, a bomber of Old Rabbit's foot? We'll have nice. to bust that out for another episode. Yeah, twenty twenty one vintage. Well, we got Elsie back, and she can drink for the first Thank time you. in a while. Woo. I mean, this Woo. isn't her first beer since having little Owen, but first one back on the pod i remember my first beer yeah they hit me different these days (laughs) (laughs) all right we got this beer poured up and it is the color that i expected it's very nice looking it's actually kind of the same color as the label yeah the cherry plum on the label i think i'm getting a nice vibe of almost like a plum like the flesh of a flesh of a plum and then yeah it's almost like a grapefruit too Mm -hmm. kind of Mm -hmm. that Mm. pale pink orange color smells nice uh funky a little tart little brett little uh you know whatchamacallit uh yeah and uh timely we we got the sour beer because we're going to talk about some sour beer stuff tonight yeah So, uh, so this is a i pulled up the post from barrel cultures facebook which you know r.i.p but it's from 2020, so this actually going on three years since it was first released. So this ultra fruit forward beer is jammed full of cherries and plums. 
You will not want to miss out on this. Erosion Theory's Cherry Plum is a mixed culture farmhouse ale. Fermented with our house Saison strains and finished with our house Britannomyces and Lactobacillus cultures before re-fermenting on cherries and plums. Clocks in at about 5.2% ABV too, so pretty low on the scale of ABV, but tons of fermentation going on here. Be yeah. interesting to see because it was, you know, fermented with some, you know, some wild yeast strains, some bacteria, and then also re-fermented with the fruit. So it's going to be just a lot going on. I wonder if it's going to be overly sour and funky. It's also, I mean, it's a saison base, so that's going to. Mm lead me to think it's going to be somewhat funky unless it's mellowed out over time. Yeah, I give it a taste like plum. It's just like straight off the bat plum. Very, you know, and I actually just had plums. Not, I had a craving for plums and got some, and I forgot how much I liked them, you know? Pretty good. Mm. And this tastes a lot like it, except, uh, you know, got that funk, got that sour. And it's like a nice dry tartness. The cherry comes in more with like the tart, sour cherry vibe with it. I'm I'm digging mm-hmm. it. I'm surprised how well this is held onto the carb too. I guess you know just a good sealed bottle, but it's got a persistent ring of you know, uh, kind of loose bubbles around the the edge of the glass. Not a ton of lace, but you wouldn't expect it really because it's, you know, a drier beer and it's not too thick or viscous and not a lot of protein. Yeah, it's definitely maintained the tartness of it. You know, it really finishes. You know, kind of like with a, a puckering component. Also, lots of good fruit flavor. You said the plum and that like tart cherry really work well together. Yeah, it's really nice, like crisp, sparkling mouthfeel too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm digging this. I like it. What do you think, Elsie? Too sour for you? I like it. It's a nice balance. Um, I think initially, though, it, it hits you. And then it mellows out fairly quickly. Yeah, it's a little puckering at first. It's mm-hmm. you know got got a good amount of acidity, but yeah, it's pretty that good. lacto is really probably the biggest contributor to the sustained tartness with that lactic acid that's been created. But uh, you know, not not funky like I might have thought from a saison strained yeast. Yeah. I guess with the with the lacto and you know refermented with some of the fruit. Might have just yeah. kind of pushed the the needle towards sour and tart versus you know funky and slightly tart. So yeah, it's got some funk on the smell, but the the flavor really doesn't have much of that at all. So overall, delicious beer, I'd say. Oh yeah, it held up really nicely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't wait to try the other one. The other one is uh, the banana cakes. It's oh yes, like, yeah. That so one's gonna try nice. that one out and see how that is, but. Sounded real nice. That will wait for another day. But uh, sour beers, you know, as we pick this beer for this episode, <laughs> you know, there's just a, a long history of sour beers and, you know, a whole different, you know, bunch of varieties. And you know, some people just kind of think of sour beers as, they're, okay, they're sour beers and that's it. But it really depends on a bunch of different methods, a bunch of different styles and it really goes back to, you know, just early beers kind of all being sour, really. Yeah. Uh, you didn't have these, you know, perfect sterile fermentation capabilities where you would have, you know, 
just one single strain of yeast or bacteria going in and fermenting just the way you want it under the perfect ideal conditions, you know, you'd have, hey, we got this vat of, you know, grain juice and we're just going to let the magic of, you know, the beer gods ferment this yeah. for us and turn it <laughs> into alcohol. Like that was kind of it. So didn't really know what was going on. And you had a lot of wild and spontaneous fermentation. Mm-hmm. Uh, that could also be the name for the podcast. Spontaneous fermentation. Spontaneous. <laughs> we are pretty spontaneous. Well, I don't know if that's the right word, but we digress a lot. <laughs> yeah. Go go off the handle. But yeah, I mean, pretty much always infected in, in a way, you know. Uh, mm, bacteria, yummy, mm, delicious. Just give me that micro organisms. Let me drink you up. Uh, but yeah, I mean, really, then they started to get a little bit preservation with beer by adding hops and you know some of the natural preservatives in there, so it lasted a little bit longer. Uh, and then style started to evolve away from that, and then we had science, science, you know, science, and <laughs> <laughs> trivia night. <laughs> Uh, with, uh, you know, was it Louis Pasteur? Pasteur. Just, uh, finding what, what's yeast? Yo, what's yeast before, you know, I mean, (laughs) you're talking about the Reinheitsgebot. boat, what just, uh, the beer, German beer purity laws where it only allowed three ingredients in beer and yeast was not one of those because they just didn't know it existed. Um, but outside of yeast, you got bacteria and that's what Mm -hmm. makes sour beer sour i guess certain strains of yeast also make sour beer sour but uh really bacterial infection and, and uh alternative yeast strains mixed fermentations really lead to our sour beers yeah and you know like you said just the the history of beer dating back you know as early as i think maybe 4000 bc there's depictions of people making beer but yeah it's just that was what beer was it was some kind of sour fermented you know culture cultured beverage that you drank but now it's you know got to be really intentional with making sour beers because if it's sour and it's not supposed to be then you know it's been infected <laughs> messed up um and so that's kind of nice now we have a sort of a rubric for beer quality and like knowing if something's gone awry because you might get a tinge of sourness that's not supposed to be there mm-hmm. um and it, when it's unwanted, it's it's not very pleasant. <laughs> no, it really isn't because it's usually not the right kind of bacteria or mm-hmm. you know, fermenting uh, microbe, <laughs> leading to a lot of off flavors and unpleasant tastes. Yeah, but yeah, so science has really made beer brewing, you know, it's made it a science. I mean, at the bottom line, we have you know single strain yeast now. The brewer's yeast is what kind of gives us our typical clean lagers and non-sour ales what type of yeast is that lauren saccharomyces yeah (laughs) (laughs) i'm not gonna say what you were saying (laughs) 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 can only imagine imagine. um but yeah i mean in sour beers and mixed fermentation have been around a long time especially in europe and you know our buddies in uh belgium Oh, I really enjoyed that one place we went in uh, Berlin. Was it Berlin? Brussels. Brussels. Berlin's in Germany. <laughs> no, well, I couldn't remember where Baby we went. Brain. We were only there for a day. Yeah, we went to Brasserie de Cantillon. We yeah. Went to Cantillon, one of the famous, you know, lambic makers and oh yeah, yeah, and goose makers and all that stuff, which is really cool because we got to see the you know the brew house and everything, and you get to see the cool ship 
and the kind of open air room that the beer gets, you know, fermented in and cools in. So, uh, very cool. You know, they, they don't intentionally like add yeast. They just pump it up to the cool ship up in their attic. And then they have like a, basically a roof over top of this, but then the sides are open. So the wind can blow and bacteria and other naturally occurring microbes can form their beer. And then they do some, uh, mixes here and there, but, uh, just one example of, of some of the styles, you know? Yeah. One of the traditional ways of making beer, which inherently was sour. So mm-hmm. a lot of that open air fermentation, pretty wild that that was consistent. I mean, especially if things were just outdoors fermenting in the open air and it's like animals running through there, insects could be in there. <laughs> I mean, and all yeah. the dust in the air. Oh like, gosh. Yeah. I hope I, I, I they can't filter it out at that time. I mean, hundreds of years ago, they didn't have the technology. So yeah. Mm, a little chunky, this a beer chunky. is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, a little gritty. Um, yeah, so, you know, there's the single strain yeast, the Saccharomyces. That's, you know, what we kind of know as the brewer's yeast now. But uh, there's other yeast and bacteria yeast, which gives us desired sourness in beer. And, uh, you know, including Britannomyces, you might hear Brett used a lot. Uh, that's a type of yeast that, you know, is going to contribute to some sourness in a beer. And can be pitched alongside brewers like Saccharomyces. So you kind of get some mixed fermentation going on there. And then, of course, there's things like we mentioned a little bit earlier, like lactobacillus, some bacteria that, uh, you know, it, it works in a similar way to yeast where it's, you know, feeding on the sugars, but it's not creating alcohol. It's, you know, producing lactic acid. And so you're getting that mouthfeel, that tartness. You know, your mouth gets kind of like coated with that, you know, acidic uh i don't know like film i guess yeah um, i mean really you're you're basically just having uh, similar to like probiotics and mm-hmm. you know <laughs> yeah. yogurt or whatever lactobacillus is some of the counts that they have in your in your probiotics you're taking but yeah like nick said instead of converting it, the sugar to alcohol it converts it to actic, lactic acid which pretty rapidly drops the ph of a beer and if you're you know thinking about a kettle sour you know sometimes they'll uh pump in a little bit of lacto, let it kind of cook for a little bit, and let then they'll uh, check the pH, and once the pH hits a certain thing, they'll heat it back up to kill it off because it can go a little bit crazy. And uh, on the bread, it, it kind of leaves a, a clean, sour taste. Like, it just really adds that sourness. So if you've ever had, like, a, a beer that's, you know, maybe a fruited sour or something like that, uh, that's just kind of got that like fruit and then sour taste. It, it probably is a, you know, yeah. lacto kettle sour beer, but, uh, I don't think we've done that. I had made a sour one time. It was not very good because it uses <laughs> yeah. just bottled lactic acid. Yeah, I like, was going to come in. It wasn't that great. No, you just, that's why Lauren scarred about dumped sour some lactic acid in it and then hoped it tasted good. Yeah. And it didn't. No, it was not a good kit that I got there. Yeah. I mean, anytime you're messing with, live cultures, any kind of micro biomes, you really got to handle it well and you've got to be diligent about using it sparingly and using it correctly so you don't have undesired off flavors or aromas, you know, or get it like overly sour mm-hmm. or overly infected with uh, the bacteria running rampant. So really interesting stuff. It, like I said, it really makes it a science. You know, I found a really good article that we, we were reading this a little bit earlier um, from the Homebrewers Association website, uh, they talk about all about the different types of brewers' yeast and mm-hmm. bacteria that we know, you know, including the ones we mentioned. There's Pediococcus. There's some other 
lesser known bacteria that are introduced that uh, can be used for various flavors or intended aromas, mouthfeels. And, uh, you know, if you go outside of the, you know, the yeast or the natural microbiome in like a cool ship or open fermentation, if you really want to manipulate and create a desired product, you can do so through various types of yeast and bacteria. So if you're interested in looking more about that, I would, I would definitely check out the homebrewersassociation.org website for their uh, microbiome article. It's pretty yeah. interesting. Yeah, I mean, then that's the thing. Like some of those, some of them you have to be very careful with because like Pediococcus, you know, can, can be a little bit more insidious, take a long time to, to ferment and it can, the flavor can really kick on once the primary yeast has, has uh, you know, done its work. So it, it can add in some off flavors if you let it go a little bit too crazy, uh, notably diacetyl. And uh, it can make like a buttery popcorn flavor that's not so Ooh, great. Yeah. Ooh, yeah, yeah, that's an off. Yeah, sometimes I've also heard that pediococcus like can lead to like feet kind of smell or <laughs> other undesirable funk. Uh, another one that they talk about in the article is Acetobacter as well. This one, uh, as you could guess by the name, can produce acetic acid, so <laughs> vinegary like flavors, uh, not so good. Uh, in your beer, I don't know about you, but uh, I don't like drinking red wine vinegar, so I can't imagine what uh, beer vinegar would be like. So, no thanks. Yeah, it would be unpleasant. I mean, if you ever try to do a shot of even like apple cider vinegar, it's mm-hmm. it, super um, harsh. Yeah, <laughs> it'll astringent. it'll make you vomit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, on it, an empty stomach, especially. Yes. Yeah. Ten uh, out of ten. Don't recommend. Don't recommend. Do not recommend. Yeah, I actually read an interesting thing from uh, about Sierra Nevada. They do tours at their breweries, but, you know, uh, I re- recently talked about Ochevez, which has come back for the summer. I'm going to mention it all through the summer, probably. Oh, has it come um, back? I've not heard such a thing. I've never heard that. Um, well, I happened to bring a can, so maybe we'll have to Ooh, crack that. yeah. Do it. Crack it. Crack that. Oh, While I'm cracking I'm this. Oh, crack that. Oh, this can of Ochevez. So, interesting, just this kind of segues or ties in nicely with our conversation, but so Ochevez is their Goza style ale with lime and agave. They uh, they do tours of their breweries and they often bring people back to where they've got their fermenters and you can pull stuff off of the tank and be really involved with the tour and go through all the facilities. But they hadn't historically let people go back to where they basically ferment their like, Gozas and like sour and kind of like these beers that have a lot more bacteria because they have, you know, really high standards with quality mm-hmm. and while okay. the risk is very, very low, if you let people kind of routinely go into these rooms where there's potentially wild strains of bacteria rampant and that could be traipsed into other parts of the brewery, then you get infections elsewhere. And it's more of a, you know, overly precautious measure than anything, but you know, just kind of it's a testament to their standards. I think they don't want to risk anything going awry. But just goes to show like I mean, there is some kind of inherent risk with mm-hmm. Yeah, you've got to keep those uh, things separate when you're yeah. having, a, especially a, a large scale operation like that. You don't want to contaminate like oh gosh, hundreds yeah. of barrels of beer, thousands of barrels. You don't want your Sierra Nevada pale ale start tasting a little bit funky. Oh, interesting, interesting pale ale recipe we've got here. Hey, hey. But uh, all I know is the quality of Ochevez has always been good, and it's great to have it back. So, pour this off a little bit. Otra vez. 
<laughs> is that what you want to say? Is no, Owen, you, you can't have any. You You're too little. Any. Too little. You gotta stick to your milk stout. Minus the stout. We've got the Otrevez. We have got it. It is a nice light color. I mean, I think if you got this in a glass and you weren't expecting, you might confuse it for a lighter beer. Uh, not, I mean, lighter in flavor beer, we'll say, because it's not a heavy beer by any means. Uh, kind of a nice oh, yeah. pale golden color. Oh, yeah. Super limey on the nose. Head. It's like smelling lime juice. Oh, gosh, it does oh, yeah. smell very limey. Gonna cure my scurvy. I was bleeding at the gums. And I like it because yeah, it's it's not overly sour or tart. It's got that kind of like mm. lime, citrus, this. and salt. You know, almost like you know, a kinder margarita kind of with the agave edition as well. But oh, it's just so nice. Yeah, it's good. Ultravez is good. It's just a nice crushable summer beer. Crushable. Yeah, we haven't said crushable in a while. Crush. Totes you crushable. could crush this. I could crush this by the pool, or on the porch, or on the couch, or at work. <laughs> Wait, well, what? <laughs> hey not at in work. the bathroom at work, <laughs> under it's my desk. Frost, buddy. <laughs> it's just a can of dead soda. Of course, it smells like limes in your office. There, it's diet coke with lime. Don't question it. <laughs> Don't worry about it. They still make that. <laughs> Actually, you okay? they, You're kind they of might still make wobbling. <laughs> yeah. Ah, this is my third diet coke today. That aspartame really gets me. Yeah, yeah. So we've actually kind of just through rambling and trying a couple beers, I've gotten to a couple different sour styles. But yeah, you know, it was funny. We actually, I I'd thought recently, you know, it'd be nice to dive into sour styles because there's so many and there's a lot of similarities or, you know relationships between them but there also are distinct differences and uh then a couple people have listened and uh reached out and said hey like you guys should do a topic about sour ales yeah. and i was like yes we should you so got it. the feedback doesn't lie if people yeah. hear it we're happy to talk about it yeah so i mean we've talked a little bit about lambics previously uh you know but bjcp let's let's just go through a few of the styles here that bjcp's got us for All right. Uh, wow, we just had a little bit of a little bit of a blowout situation uh, in a little diaper. It just had an explosion, but also at the same time, the memory card was full, so we missed out on the the big explosion from the little guy's pants in the studio. Uh, too bad you missed it. But uh, where were we? I think we were talking about uh, lambics. You know, uh, yeah. we were talking about BJCP derived uh, sour styles, and the first one we talked about uh, lambics. Of course, we we talked a little bit about Cantillon. Uh, and you can't talk about Lambics without talking about Belgium. So, a Belgian wheat beer, sourness that ranges depending on the age. You know, aging can be a, a big factor uh, for sour beers. It really can give it some time to mellow out and let that slow burn fermentation just continue for a while. Especially because some of the souring uh, bacteria take a long time mm. to really produce an effect. Unlike, uh, you know, Saccharomyces, that's bam, jamming it out real quick. Yup. Uh, it's aggressive. You know, we talked about them, uh, you know, spontaneously fermented. They are, you know, traditionally served uh, uncarbonated, but they can get some carbonation in the bottle aging process. I don't think I've ever had a still Lambic. Yeah. It'd be interesting to go to 
Belgian Belgium and to have you know a traditional lambic. So you know we have we have breweries here that will make lambics. It's not super common, but of course New Belgium being big in the Belgian brewing styles, they uh, they make plenty of lambics and. I believe most of theirs are at least moderately car- carbonated, but I feel like Lambic's a good one to kind of get into first for a conversation because it actually kind of leads into other sour styles. You know, at, at, at the base recipe for a Lambic, you can kind of take that and you can make other styles, including a Goose, which I think you mentioned Goose. also from Kintion. So, yeah, so a Goose, it looks kind of like a Goza, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, as far as like pronunciation, but they're actually two different styles. And the Goose is, you know, another Belgian staple, but what it actually is, is just, it's a makeup of lambics that are aged or at different points in their age and they're blended together to create uh, a different sour ale entirely. But, you know, so the recipe is the same. It's just like you mentioned, the aging to kind of get some more balance, get some more mellowing of the sourness it's going to tone down the sourness mm-hmm. and tartness of a goose compared to a lambic, even though by recipe, that's you know, basically the same kind of ingredients you're using. So, you know, the only difference is less sharp, less astringent, um, probably a little more approachable as far as, you know, somebody that might not be yeah. into the super acidic and sour puckery beers. And uh, it can also lead to a slightly higher ABV range, looking between like five and eight percent. So, you know, those are kind of in tandem. Like they're they're the yeah. relationship's pretty close. It's just you know taking something, having it at you know one, two, and three years of age, blending those products together. And we see that a lot with things like I think cool ships typically have blends like that as well. So, yeah, yeah. You know, we we talk about lambics, but. We never really talk about sheep bigs. Oh, it's not even funny. Had to uh, say a dad not, joke. Uh, I was about to say, is that your dad yeah, joke? Yeah, because my oh, child is phased. sitting there staring at me, so I got to say a dad joke to him. Well, he sp- <laughs> spit his pants to fire out of you. He did to my not standards. like that joke at all. He's just like, do better, you, dad. Do better. What are you looking at, Baldy? Uh, did we talk about creeks? No, but yeah, yeah. kind of going down the line of different. Lambic family beers. The old you, Lambic family. The whole, the whole f- <laughs> that was a great show, you Lamb- know, back sitcom days. The Lambic family. The Lambic family. Oh, he smiled at that one. He liked that joke. He's a big fan of Creeks. Uh, yeah, Creeks. Uh, Creeks. So I that, like Creeks. Uh, you know, that's uh, Cherry. Cherry, Cherry boy. I like those. You know what else we got in the fridge downstairs? Yes. We have a Lindemann's Framboise. I, a framboise. I picked that up. Framboise. Which is what? Rasp? Raspberries? Yeah. That's right, Lauren. Yeah, it's right. Pick that up at um, the old know, Jarvis Street Bottle Shop. Shout out Jarvis. You can't go an episode without mentioning Jarvis Street Bottle Shop. Well, they, you know, keep bringing in good beers. And that's one thing I like is they do bring in some nice bottled beers. A lot know, of imports, yeah. We had the Resurgum Cool Ship last year on the pod. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of those like spontaneous ferment fermentation or like wild fermentation panels. Flanders Reds. Flanders Reds. A Roden Box. Mm-hmm. A lot of European Roden beers. From Crew. I've gotten some. Uh, I just picked up a four, six pack of Warsteiner Dunkels. Ooh, Dunkel. you know, I'm a fan of my Warsteiner I can get at, uh, at Costco. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you got to get the, the German multi beer. It's a very malty lager to, you know, kind of get out of the way. Lauren's not the biggest fan of it. Just a flavorful beer. But you know what else I stumbled on? Uh, again, we're, we're going on, on side trails here. 
Aldi. <laughs> Aldi. Aldi. Vernus Gruner. Four pack. Five ninety nine or six ninety nine. Six ninety nine. Six ninety nine. That was pretty for good. For a four pack. For a four pack of sixteen ounce cans. Uh, you know, and Lauren was, eh, she thought it was okay, but it's just, you know, a nice German pills. Not bad. Pretty good. I liked it. Uh, yeah. for six ninety nine. Dang. I'll take it again. I'll get it. Yeah. Can't really beat the value there. Mm-mm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, you've got, you just mentioned a, you know, a maltier beer. So again, kind of going down the Belgian styles here, we're stepping away from Lambics. You know, we mentioned the, the Lambic, you've got your Goose, which is blended Lambics. You've got you know, a fruit lambic, or you have like a creek or a creek lambic with the sour cherries in there. So a lot of derivation from the recipe of a, of a, a lambic. Those but, Belgians are just so derivative. Yeah, just <laughs> so derivative. <laughs> Come but, up know, with a new beer style. Come on now. They probably were thinking that, and they were like, you know what, we got to make something that appeals to uh, these folks that like... Old you know, brune. <laughs> yeah, some old Ooh, brune. Yeah, old brune. malty and... Uh, <laughs> You know, a little darker and in, in, in color, and also... All um, we have is these waffles and these lambics. I don't know what to do. <laughs> we speak three different languages. I don't know what to is say. Is this Belgian? <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. That was... I don't even know what kind of accent yeah, that I was just doing there. But offended uh, our Belgian yeah. listeners. Sorry. Apologies. Apologize. Uh, yeah. Ode Brune. Belgian-style brown ale. Slight sourness. Prominently malty. You know, and I can't think of a time that I've had an Ode Brune. Uh, can you? I think I may have had one like on tap at the Asheville New Belgium location. I don't know if it's something I've ever had. I don't know that they can or bottle any of that and mm. sell it out, but you know, I, I I do recall having an old brune there just because it is striking in color. It's a bit different from you know the other Belgian, like the the lambics and the creek. The creek you know has that kind of reddish brown hue, but mm-hmm. this is more of like what appears as a brown ale. And uh, yeah, quite a bit different to have something that color be under a sour ale yeah. classification. Typically, you don't think of it, you know, that mm-hmm. way. But uh, so it's kind of neat. I gotta go out of my way to get one of those. I think. Yeah, next time we find one, I'm sure we'll see one at Driver Street at some point. But oh yeah, definitely sure we can interesting. Ask him and be like, hey, oh, I'm sure he could hook get us some up. in there. Get some in, Lars. But yeah, so you know, we've been talking a, a lot about Belgium. Known for their waffles, mm-hmm. their lambics, oh, and their chocolates. <laughs> uh, but let's move on to, uh, you know, Germany. What do we got for for Germans? What are, what are they like? Yeah. Well, you know, we just mentioned the Ochevez Goza style ale from Sierra Nevada. So Goza actually is a German style, not a Belgian style, even though the name looks similar to the Goose. Uh, but, you know, one of the interesting thing about Goza is that I read online um, – I was perusing through some different resources and articles. Uh, I believe it's from hopculture.com. They mentioned that the history of the Goza, of course, is near the, the Gosler region of Germany. They actually used to get salinity from the river itself. Mm-hmm. It had some some salt content, and so they would add that as their like water for brewing the beer. Huh. Um, now, of course, we we just throw some salt into the <laughs> just put some salt in it into the mm, beer. Some not salt so coriander. Yeah. <laughs> It's not salty enough with uh, this pure fresh water. Mm, so, it's like Goza, but to stay. <laughs> Astaza. <laughs> yeah. Oh, if anybody knows that reference, please shout it out because that's one of my like most underrated clips of all time. It's like <laughs> Sketch yogurt, show. but to stay. <laughs> it's like yogurt. I wish Ochevez would stay. Ochevez stands for another, another time. Another time. I think. Something along those lines. 
I've been doing a little uh, Spanish study. Spanish. And uh, listening to like random podcasts and stuff. And mm-hmm. <laughs> every once in a while, I mean, I don't understand most of what they say since I'm just starting, but. Uh, every once in a while, I'll hear "otra vez," you know, and they'll just kind of keep going on, and I'm like, "Oh, yeah. I knew that! I knew that one." They're talking about beer. No, 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 actually not commonly used for beer, but uh, no, yeah. So you know, back to the <laughs> go. So goza, yeah. So uh, you, if you've had a goza before, you know the deal. It's you know citrusy. It's got mild, medium sourness, not overly sour. It also typically has some salt like flavor present. Mm-hmm. Um, but not too salty. Yeah, you, you may have had the sea quench ale from Dogfish Head is another mm, good example yeah. of a goza, and they use I think black lime and sea salt. And uh, another staple ingredient is coriander, which I didn't actually know fully, but you know traditionally with the BJCP like you know mm-hmm. uh, ingredient list, you're going to see salt coriander listed in there. You have, of course, they've got some lactobacillus in there for some of that lactic acid, but. It's actually toned down compared to like a goose or a lambic. It's not quite as sour, which is nice because I think it makes for a yeah. much more approachable beer, especially in the summertime. You just get to enjoy that like saltiness, a little bit of that lime or that citrus, um, some of that some of that lactic acids coming through, but it's not, you know, just no, punching the just mouth like pleasantly with tart. acidity. Yeah, yeah, and and a lighter ABV too. You know, yeah, usually exactly. in the four percent range, somewhere around there. So, very crushable. Not a yeah, not a beer that's going to knock your socks off. Uh, yeah, pretty flavorful and light. Though. So Goza, yeah, from Germany, which something else I hadn't really thought about, but uh, you know, a lot of these sour styles are from Central Europe and yeah, uh, Germany. Not unlike Belgium, they enjoy making sour beers. So the Goza, not alone though, in the German portfolio. Uh, you know, you got Berliner Weizen. And Lauren and I had some of these in Berlin. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the name of the brand? Why am I drawing a blank? Is that that little cafe? Yeah, but what's the name of the... Ooh. Hang on, I gotta look this up. Yeah, it's kind of it's me not crazy. what I was anticipating. Well, also, you know, we had looked about it and they're like, oh, that's the... Um, tourist. <laughs> that's the tourist beer. Yeah. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> it really, I was uh, like, good thing I'm a tourist. Ah, Berliner yeah. Kindl. That's yes, what it is. Yes. Berliner Kindl. Yeah. Berliner Kindl. Basically, it's the Berliner Weiss and then they put syrup, like flavored syrups in I there. I saw that. It's like red or green syrup and one of them's kind of more of like a like cherry and then the green is kind of more vegetal. Or maybe I have that off a little bit, but yes, it's a uh, raspberry or raspberry. woodruff flavoring. Woodruff. Waldmeister syrup. Yeah, that's Woodruff. interesting. Woodruff. I think I only had is, one uh, option. I had the red. Yeah, you got the raspberry. What did I just get? A you plain got a beer. Red? Oh, I just I got a beer. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you got you got a different kind of beer. It's like in a slushy. It's like, <laughs> yeah. do you like raspberry or green? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, it's a woodruff, but nobody really knows what it is. Apparently, it's a flowering perennial plant in the family Rubiaceae. Rubiaceae. So, like herbal and, yeah, maybe a little bit vegetal, but uh, interesting add-in for a sour beer style, but... Yeah, it's so actually kind of sweet, too. Oh, have yeah, you? well, yeah. I mean, with a syrup sour addition in there, it's like to, to take the edge off that a little bit, but also a very light ABV beer, uh, you know, hovering around 3% around there. So. Oh, it's so... Yeah, the lightest of the bunch... I remember them being though like really pleasantly crisp and almost like a sparkling oh, white yeah. wine or champagne. Mm-hmm. Um, really nice mouthfeel. What was that one that uh, Matt sent us? Uh, Florida Vice. That one was pretty good. Oh yeah, yeah. There's a lot of good sours down 
um, in Florida. We'll have to check those out. And I think notably at the time we kind of mentioned it then, but in the U.S., the the American breweries, when they make a Berliner Weisse, they'll refer to it as a Berliner Weisse style. Mm-hmm. You'll see that a lot in the cans. Um, and, it, you know, of course, the name itself kind of has its history rooted in Berlin. So it's kind of one of those things where it's maybe out of respect at this point to not refer to it as a Berliner Weisse if you don't brew it in Berlin. <laughs> Berlin. But um, It's not in Berlin, so it doesn't count. Interesting that, you know, they're able to make a beer that's got so much going on so much in mouthfeel and character by still having such a low abv of, oh yeah you know two and a half three you know may, maybe topping out around like four percent but it's so light crisp and uh you know a lot of times we add in here in the united states a lot of fruit flavors which is not really st- steering too far from the the history of the style because you know you mentioned those like add in syrups to add some flavor add some color to it at, over in germany so yeah yeah, and then, I mean, what do you want to round out the styles with, the old American wild ales? Yeah, I mean, I think it's fair that we can talk about those. We just had a, uh, you know, that Saison from Barrel Culture. Um, yeah, what are your thoughts, Lauren? Like, comparatively to, like, the the Belgian styles, the German styles, and then, like, our, maybe, like, our mixed fermentation or American wild ales, do you have any of those three that you prefer, or do you think they're all kind of... I don't know how those appeal to you. Any of those stand out more? I really enjoyed everything that we had at Cantillon. Okay. Yeah. That's Which style, is funny because you don't like, like more like Belgian beers. You're yeah. not a huge fan. I'm not. But, uh, you know, those, you just, the Belgian sours, I think you like. Not the, not like the wheats or the, the doubles or triples or anything like that. You're not a fan of, but. Uh, yeah. It's just a different, I mean, it's a different ball game completely. Yeah, it's, you know, that lactic acid you have to be really ready for. And, like, I can have a couple, but, you know, you have a couple of Lambics and, you know, you're pretty much, your palate's washed out with oh, yeah. all that tartness. Probably wrecking your guts, too. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I can have more than, like, one or two. <laughs> oh, for I'm, sure. I'm done. Yeah, because some of them can get really acidic and tart. It hurts my tummy. Hurts your tummy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's why it's... You know, kind of nice, you know, rounding out here with the American Wild Ales and, you know, things that are, by BJCP standards, they're considered, like, specialty beers. Um, you know, you've got mixed fermentation, you've got spontaneous fermentation. Of course, that's not a, a new practice or anything that is founded here in the States, but, you know, we, we have found a, a resurgence of that kind of practice with breweries using techniques like, uh, you know, the cool ships to kind of get open fermentation to have like natural microbiomes in the air and the in the environment to kind of leach in and self ferment ferment the beer. Yeah. Um, but then we get things like, you know, barrel culture doing some of these mixed fermentation, adding in different yeast strains, adding some bacteria and adding in, you know, fruits to also add to the fermentation oh, with yeah. some of those natural, you know, yeasts that are found on fruit. And so yeah, fruits, I mean, fruit additives, can be like pasteurized, I guess, but a lot of times mm-hmm. if you're just adding in fruit, you know, you're getting those natural yeast and bacteria in there as well. So you're getting a little uh, risque with your fermentation, but uh, a lot of cool stuff. And I mean, American Wild is such a spanning category. There's so many examples yeah. of different sour beers and everything that you can get. I think that one's harder to really define or kind of compartmentalize because there's just so much room for volatility with that kind of 
brewing technique when you're introducing wild yeast or doing sort of like spontaneous or mixed fermentation. It's hard to replicate that product over and over again. And so there's just a lot of uh, change up as far as what you're creating. And so that's why you get places like Barrel Culture that we're putting out tons of different variations, maybe, you know, using some of the same fruits, but having a different like malt base, having different bacteria strains that are introduced and, you know, they may all be sour, but there's some variation there. It's just harder to kind of nail that down. Whereas you can get away with that better with traditional sour uh, European styles, like what Belgium and Mm -hmm. uh, Germany have done with their styles we mentioned earlier. So yeah, for sure. But uh, pretty interesting to kind of learn. I learned quite a bit about all these different ones. Uh, I'm sure I'll have something to single out later, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think if you got any more questions about sour stuff or any more specific or technical information you want to know, we can definitely do some research in. shout it out on the next podcast. But, uh, I think it's time for, uh, Elsie's pick of the week. Elsie's pick of the week. The first Elsie pick of the week where she's been present in quite some time uh, of her pick. Time Can to I get you to pour out your own Elsie's pick? Oh, because you don't want to wake the sleeping oh, child. We finally child, got the little one the down. The child is now asleep. But I can't look at it as I pour it. Don't worry. I will pour. I need to rinse my cup a little bit. Let's go ahead and get our glasses rinsed. We'll get this poured up and we'll be right back. Correct that, Elsie's pick of the week. Ooh, the prolonged. Yeah, that wasn't intentional for any kind of dramatic effect i just know if i do it too hard it sprays beer all over the microphone oh man i gotta get it we gotta make like a crazy guitar lick for uh you know the lc's pick of the week like, jam it all, up. Uh, power rangers 1990 oh gosh that song went way too hard <laughs> that power rangers intro song was just you know i think it just led off to how great power rangers was it's pouring time another show from our childhood that was invented solely to sell toys (laughs) and actually that one was knocked off i think from like a japanese version of a show to sell toys basically all the cartoons from our childhood were were just to sell toys to us it's kind of crazy it worked it It did did. it totally worked (laughs) and we bought them all all those toys well, your parents bought them all. Oh, yeah, true, true. Interesting. We're switching gears here. Is what I feel here. We've got a uh, very, a lot sweet, sweeter of a smell <laughs> than the last couple ones. You get, you getting that? Yeah, I'm, I am, but I'm also having trouble smelling this for some reason because... I'm, I'm, we have tiki glasses out, so I was expecting to have no trouble. But it is a light sniffer. It's not a. It's not a heavy scented beer. Yeah, I'm not getting like pronounced hop character. I'm not getting. I'm almost oh, getting like a little apricot kind of a some smell. fruit. Okay, I can see that. I can see some apricot some or peach. Fruity, fruity fruit. Oh, I almost just described the color, but I forgot. Joe can't see yet. <laughs> I just went in for a taste. It's fruity. 
It is. A little tart. Yeah. You it's know, and, oddly familiar. Have we had this beer before? Oh, I have to look it up. Okay, I took a look. Lighter in color than expected. I not, bet your eyes don't look this way. Not too far off from uh, Otrevez. A little darker, though. So, yeah, one thing we kind of didn't touch on was, you know, when talking about sour styles, you know, there are some exceptions like fruit lambics or, you know, creeks that fall under the BJCP style guidelines for a sour ale. But then there's things like fruit beer where mm-hmm. you kind of have like a sour beer that you add fruit to and it changes the definition of the style yeah. as far as uh, being judged or evaluated. And some of the fruit beers aren't even sour, right? Yeah. And like, that's what's, it's, it's such a, like, tight, uh, like a fine line to walk where you can add certain things at certain, you know, intervals and in brewing and, and have just a, you know, like a fruited Berliner Weisse or a fruit Lambic. But then you can also kind of push that beer into a fruit beer category. Um, which might be a separate topic for another day, but. So you've had it. You've have. had it. Nick has not. How long ago did I have On it? On 2021. Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think you. Hmm. Oh yes, this is remember. obviously. Um, yes, it does taste like a fruit beer. Um, my tongue is a little scorched from the previous beers. It's leaving. I can't figure out what fruit it is. That's the only tartness thing. though is what's kind of throwing me it off. It does have a little end. bit of tartness to it. But it's not like sour by any means. Like the last two had much. I mean, obviously the first one had the most punch. Yeah. But uh, these, it's it just leaves a little tingle on the tongue. I'm actually now I'm wondering if there's a hint of strawberry on the nose. Strawberry. Different than apricot entirely, but. Hmm. Yeah, that might be what I'm getting because I didn't feel strongly about apricot. It just was like that, but now that you say strawberry, that's poisoned my mind. All I can think of is like a tart, fresh strawberry, and, huh, is this a strawberry rhubarb sour? Ooh, strawberry rhubarb would from... be an interesting guess. <laughs> <laughs> Am I close? No. No. <laughs> oh, darn it. Okay, never mind. Mm. Well, I give up now. That was my, I already asked if I was right. So I lose. I lose. Yeah, my I'm vote. not sure I can go back off of strawberry because it's what I was getting. But I don't know. It's just. Oh, sorry. There's none left in the can. Mm. Do you want to taste? Let me have a sip of that. I've had it before, but again, it was back in 2021. Maybe I was by the powers of. So it smells like something that it is. It is. It does. Yeah. It kind of reminded me at first of Drink a Peach. Is from it some kind of like pie? But no. Almost, it almost smells like desserty, like pie crust with some kind of like fruit. a crumble. Yeah, like yeah, a or a strudel or something. Yeah, like that. Uh, y'all are on the right track with fruit. Well, good. Oh, fruit. <laughs> Blueberry. You've not fruit. guessed said fruit yet. Is mm. it fruit or berry? A fruit. Oh, jeez. Mm. Is it like is it watermelon? Two different. What I smell distinctly one. I don't necessarily pick up on the taste of it. Oh man, you really pineapple. It's a less obvious fruit. Oh jeez, kiwi. 
<laughs> less obvious. Starfruit. <laughs> All right. Too, ob- too obvious. Fruit. <laughs> All right, I don't think you're gonna get it. No, uh, passion totally fruit. stumped on okay, this. Okay, passion fruit is one of them. Oh, that's not the one that. I is it like guava? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so that's you, I think I the mix of the flavors. Is, like, yeah. That's it. what it's got like a guava, and I can see like strawberry kind of has an almost like an umami finish to it. Like it's got like a depth of flavor, not really too savory, but it's got like that sweetness that kind of has a deep mellow sweetness to it. You know, mm-hmm. and I feel like guava is one of those fools. Let me see the can. So that this looks... is Anderson Valley Tropical <gasps> Hazy Sour Ale. Wait, and hazy? it's an ale oh, with gosh, hazy. Everything's passion really hazy. fruit and guava. But it's a sour, hmm. a fruited sour. Yeah, Anderson Valley, definitely a known brand for making sour beer styles. They, yeah, use... they make a lot of gozas, I know. We've mm-hmm. had a few in uh, some like mystery boxes and things. Wow. They use a traditional kettle souring method. Um, similar to their renowned and award-winning Goza series of beers, the tropical flavors are introduced in the fermentation process through the use of real guava and passion fruit. Um, and they left the beer hazy to provide a more aromatic beer and added to the overall balance of the beverage. Huh. Well. So it is a sour ale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, we could not get the fruit. I got to go eat a bunch of fruit, I think. I know. Well, we just had that guava mango juice, and I'm really surprised you didn't pick up on the guava. I got a lot of mango out that juice. Okay. Plus, when he mixed it with prosecco, kind of loses. Yours was primarily prosecco. (laughs) A splash. Um, Well, it really got us there. You know, these fruit ones always make me like. I can't. I have a really hard time detecting which fruit it is. Yeah, you do. I don't know. I think I got to study up on that. Yeah, we learned that a couple weeks ago too. When we, I think it was doing the hazies episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my my sniffer just doesn't work well for fruit, apparently. Yeah, I usually feel like I do get guava, though. Like, if that's in there, I'm usually like, uh, guava. There's been a couple other times where I've been like, oh, I'm getting guava out of this, but it must have been the passion fruit combination. Passion fruit's got a kind of a distinct sweetness to it. Oh, well. We'll work on it. Oh, well. Well, what'd you guys learn today? Elsie, what'd you learn coming back? I learned that these podcasts are a lot more difficult with a, a child. <laughs> oh, and would you learn? Nothing, because he's finally asleep. Wow, nothing. Yeah. We lulled him to sleep with our mm-hmm. soothing voices. I don't think I realized that the Goza style was originated in with like the Germans. Yeah, yeah. that's a that's realize. a good one. I thought about that earlier. Yeah, you, me. Now you took it. I'll say something else. Sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> I guess on that kind of same note, I didn't realize how many. Of the sour, like the Central European historical sour ales were of a wheat ale base. A lot of like mm-hmm. wheat malt is used primarily for, at least like majorly or, or if not exclusively, it's a large part of the malt base. So I didn't realize how much of them were wheat beers by default until you introduced the sour aspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um I, you know, kind of relearned about Pediococcus and its, like, long-term fermentation time. If I'm not mistaken, I think that one's also one that can cause, like, mucusy, like, stringers in the beer that you got to wait for a long time for it to, like, cleave that out and get get rid of it. I'm pretty sure it can, like, make big, like, gross things in there if you don't let it sit long enough. Uh, Somebody correct me if I'm wrong, though, but I'm just trying to remember my... My thoughts on, on Pediococcus, uh, but interesting stuff. 
I learned, you know, I, I kind of usually don't dismiss sours as a, not a hype beer or something, but like I usually am not going for sours when we go out and, and get one, unless yeah. we're at like local Oak, I'll, you know, I'm always going to get one there and uh, just to try the new stuff that, that they're putting out. But yeah, there's certain breweries. gravitating towards sours, like on a, on a menu. I just never really am in the mood. I want to. Yeah more beer flavored beer <laughs> but in the terms of like you know either multi yeah I, I feel like i've been gravitating toward multi lately yeah and we're definitely not alone in that i've, I've read some you know articles where they're, they're talking about the trends of craft beer drinkers right now and, and things are leaning towards you know multi beers lagers things of that nature and um, you know, sours used to be kind of right up there close to the IPAs. And, uh, like you said, I'm kind of more selective now. If I want a sour, I'm, I'm down to like try local oaks, um, some local breweries. I'll try hot fly, mm-hmm. you know, they have their blender series, which Ooh, we have one of those in the fridge too. Yeah. Um, but you know, otherwise and that, I'm not really yeah picking those out on a, a menu unless I will say <laughs> I was at a brewery out of town this last weekend when we were in Minnesota and they had a beer from Drecker, which is in North Dakota and it was a sour IPA. So I'm like, I don't know if I normally would have picked mm-hmm. that, but I've been trying to get uh, a check-in to every state in the U S yeah. not ju- like not being in the state, but like having a beer that's from, that from a brewery from that state. And uh, North Dakota was one of the like last five I've had. So <laughs> I was like, I'm going to get this because I don't know the next time I'm going to have access to a North Dakota brewery. But, uh, so other than that, I'm not typically looking at sours, but yeah, but now, now I think I'm going to pick a little bit more out, but anyway, that wraps up episode number 62, the gang's all here plus one, I guess plus half, you know, he's not really contributing much other than gurgling noises. (laughs) He is a half point. But uh, thanks for tuning in. Make sure you check out our socials. We're on Instagram at East Carolina Beer. Check out our website, eastcarolinabeer.com. We're on Facebook, East Carolina Beer and Brewing. We're actually on threads now, too. Uh, secondary fermentation on threads. Where are we? East Carolina Beer. We're still East Carolina Beer on threads. Yeah. Just kidding. I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah. East Carolina Beer on threads. Uh, and Twitter is out there. I guess it's not Twitter anymore. It's X. We're at X. East Beer. I don't check it unless we get a notification, which is rarely. So, uh, But make sure you leave us a comment, a nice five-star review on our podcast. And we'd love to hear from you. If you want a shout-out to us, you can always email us at eastcarolinabeer at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.